This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division... I would encourage everybody to go to the Redistricting Commission's website, redistricting.wa.gov. Do this before October 4th, which is uh, next week. Next week. And the reason why it's important to build to, to public comment is that if this does go to a court or even during these meetings that are still happening, both sides are going to want to be able to say, look at all the public support for these principles and values. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. We are back on Crossing Division with... I'll say it this way, although I feel kind of bad saying that these surprisingly fascinating stories about redistricting. This is Redistricting Part 2, Maps and Bargains. Again, we have the wonderful Phil Gardner with us and Marty Campbell. Phil, say hello. Introduce yourself again in case someone missed Part 1. Sure, yeah. Um, Thanks for having me, Evelyn. Uh, I'm Phil Gardner. I... Uh, work as the chief of staff in the lieutenant governor's office, um, though here in my uh, own personal capacity, and uh, also a Democratic uh, precinct committee officer and former candidate and um, longtime Pierce County Tacoma guy. And a PCO for the 27th legislative district, correct? Correct, yes. And you all will find out why that's particularly interesting when we get into more details about that. Now, Marty, would you like to introduce yourself again, too? Absolutely. Marty Campbell, Pierce County Council District Number 5, uh, democratically elected, um, or Democrat elected to Pierce County <laughs> Council and democratically also elected. Democratically elected. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, that's the Tacoma's east side, south end, uh, also Midland, Parkland, Spanaway, Summit, Waller, Clover Creek neighborhoods. But uh, um, and, and, yeah, looking forward to this. And uh, we'll also be able to talk about several redistricting processes. Yes, so many redistricting things. So as a starting point, we have maps now. We have, last time we talked about there are four members on the redistricting commission, two appointed by Democrats, two appointed by Republicans. The four of them agree on the fifth member, who's their chair. They have come out with their maps. First, um, each of the four issued their legislative district maps uh, last week. And then the four of them issued their congressional district maps this week. So, initial thoughts. Marty, uh, overview thoughts. What did you think of the maps? Anything you saw that you sort of thought, oh, hell no? Um, Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I think the, uh, um, of course, you know, we all take the tendency to look local. Where's where's my house? That's what I did. And, uh, you know, I've been part of the 27th district on the east side for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking at the east side moving out of the 27th district. And uh, on three of the four maps, it moves completely out. And in one of the maps, it moves slightly out. We're talking about the state legislative ones here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that causes me some concerns. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, There are other, though, there's some other maps that are a little bit crazy. One that moves part of the 27th into Gig Harbor, Mm -hmm. which I I don't think quite works. Um, One that has, one that stretches almost 250 miles by the time it's all stretched to try to connect communities. And that's not hardly compact. And some that connect uh, parts of uh, Pierce County, cities in Pierce County with Yakima. So I think I saw one that does that. And so so, uh, locally, I have... You know, some discussion and then yeah. kind of the, um, uh, you know, how are some of these outer ones and then how does the rest of the county lay out? So we're definitely going to see a little different mix of mm-hmm. LDs that are engaged. I don't know if any of them continue to have the 31st or the 30th that dips into Pierce County currently. Um, but uh, some of the ones that dip in, dip their toe into Pierce County now will be out. And so we're, we're going to have a little different mix up. Yeah. Well, what were your thoughts, Phil? Yeah, I guess I have two overriding thoughts. I guess first the congressional plan, then the legislative mm-hmm. plan. And I think we're going to talk about this a little more later. But the the thing to understand about all of these from a negotiating perspective is they're sort of the maximum stances that the parties yeah. want to start out as. So none of these eight maps, I guess, none of them will actually be the final map. So don't get too upset or too attached to any one. But it is informative in terms of understanding it. So starting with the congressional one. 
you know, the two Republican maps are – I mean, they're really just absurd. I mean, they, <laughs> they've, they've come up with all these sorts of, you know, explanations for, for why they make sense. Senator uh, – or his former Senator Fain, his, his congressional map, I want to particularly call out the absurdity of it. It – it moves – first of all, it moves all of Tacoma out of the 6th Congressional District. Yeah, I noticed that since I live in that part. Yeah. And then it draws a district which includes – this is true – half of Whidbey Island, all of the Pacific coast of Washington, and Centralia down in Lewis County. He wow. Puts, he puts all of that in one district. And then he, there's also a district, the 8th District, which Dr. Schreier represents right now. That turns into something that includes Puyallup all the way up to the Canadian border – and then out to Ellensburg as well. And is that the one that he actually named? Didn't he name that one Cascadia he District? He, he did. And and um, mountains don't vote. <laughs> so that is, that is an interesting feature of the district. But um, it is probably not something that really makes sense. But what's going on here is is the Republicans, um, because Congressman Reichert is, is gone on like the previous 10 years ago, they don't really have anything to lose in terms of the congressional maps, right? Mm-hmm. The the geography of the state is such that the districts that Kathy McMorris Rogers, Dan Newhouse, and Jamie Herrera Butler represent, they're gonna have to stay at least lean R. So they can just sort of throw out these ideas for how they think the state should be more competitive, and they're they're not really tethered to any sort of reality. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Democratic congressional maps, in fact, uh, April Sims' map is very close to the existing one. I think she did a, a very good job in that sense, um, and I think are are also just much more reasonable in terms of what a court would uphold. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's the congressional, and and, a, and on a partisan perspective. Um, it, it basically takes the district – the Democratic maps take the districts that uh, Congressman Jayapal, uh, Congressman Smith, and Congressman Delbeni represent. And those are very Democratic districts. Right. And then the ones represented by Larson, Schreier, Strickland, and Kilmer are sort of solidly blue districts but not overwhelmingly so. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we can delve in more into that. But I, I, essentially the Republicans are trying to get – you know, the moon, and they're not going to get, I think, much of anything in the end there. Right. Um, what about the legislative? Yeah, the legislative map is a lot um, more complicated, and, and the Republicans have incumbents who they want to protect, and, mm-hmm. and so they're thinking of that. But they have produced maps that are very uh, gerrymandered. Uh, they sort of include these odd arms that reach out and grab neighborhoods that is clearly just sort of an incumbent protection thing. Um, but if, if you sort of sift through the overall contrast between the two, there's sort of a few points of disputes over some some swing districts. Uh, but it, it's sort of what one would expect in terms of the parties angling in a way that for the Democrats would support um, more majority-minority districts, um, districts that try to reduce uh, the number of cities that are split up. Whereas the Republican maps sort of make this whole claim to be compact and competitive, but mm-hmm. don't really stand up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm glad you mentioned gerrymandering because I noticed that you know as soon as the legislative district maps were out, uh, you know certainly Tina Pondladowski sent out an email saying you know this is just the worst kind of gerrymandering, uh, this is outrageous. Uh, these uh, this, these maps do not meet the um, legal standards for redistricting. And I believe Caleb Heimlich on the Republican side also, you know, claimed that the Democratic maps were gerrymandering and not meeting the um, legal standards, which just always makes me wonder, what's going on here? I mean, is it really gerrymandering? It could be. Or is it that we're using this to kind of as an opportunity to kind of gear up our base and get everyone revved? What do, what do you think? Well, you know, I mean, a, a political party chair is always going to give the best the best line for their party so I, I don't I don't sort of blame um, anyone for that you know I would also say that the Republican strategy on on many issues all over the country is to just sort of yell back the same criticisms that are actually accurately leveled at them um, I think what what Tina and the the Democratic commissioners um, have a point in that the existing court precedent and uh, the documentation of what has gone into these maps and their reasoning would stand up to a lot stricter scrutiny um, than the Republican maps would. So in that sense, I think she is and and the the uh, Democratic commissioners are are much closer to 
the truth, um, though, of course, it's politics, so everybody's going to, you know, sure. throw a few punches at each other. But Sure. Well, what I was not able to figure out how to effectively read the uh, maps on the redistricting website. Um, but you sent me a really good couple of articles in the Seattle Times. And so if folks who are listening and want to look at the maps, I suggest you go look at the Seattle Times. Just search for redistricting. There's an article on the with the congressional maps, and there's an article with the legislative maps, and you can look into them. And it's a lot clearer you know, where the lines are now, and each uh, individual commissioner of the redistricting commission, uh, they're, they're separate maps. So I found that very helpful. But what made what it occurred to me immediately on seeing sort of the reactions to this was, you know, is part of what we're seeing a difference in bargaining strategy? And by that, I mean, you know, one of the first things you need to do when you're negotiating something is kind of decide not just your tactics, you know, whether you're going to be apparently sweet and, and uh, deferential or hardcore and nasty, but your strategy. And your strategy, you know, one strategy is to come in asking for the world in a really belligerent way and sort of saying, you know, this is the only sensible thing to do and here are my demands and you need to meet them. And what you're really trying to do is you're reframing the negotiation so that you're offering up a plate of horribles and the other side is going to push back and you're going to grudgingly, oh, that hurts me so much. I'm going to give you a couple of things that are clearly so horrible no one would ever want, you know, get them. But I'm going to act like, you know, oh, you know, you're making me bleed. I'm going to give you a couple of things. Really what I'm doing is hoping that you're, you're going to be so tired out and you're going to feel like I've given up so much that I'm not going to have to give up my three or four things that really are important to me. And I kind of see that in the Graves plan that, you know, he's come out with a plan that has all kinds of things that will upset people, you know, almost purposely drawn to redistrict out the current incumbent, you know, to displace the current incumbent and to, you know, maximize uh, rural areas over, um, you know, um, urban areas. And I think that his tactic may be to, you know, to really come up with something that's so unagreeable that when you get into the bargaining activity, he'll give on a few things, but what he'll get is maybe three or four districts that are reshaped in a way that is more favorable to his party. Contrast that with the April Sims plans. Those, what I think of are what I would call the reasonable person negotiation. That is, you know, I'm going to work really hard, come up with something that I think we can all reasonably agree to. Because I'm not so much interested in getting your agreement. I would like that. But what I know is at the end of the day, if we go to a court mm -hmm. and I go in front of a judge, mm -hmm. the judge is going to say, well, this is the more reasonable plan. Mm -hmm. And I will win. Now, it will be expensive to win because what that means is during negotiations is I've got to say no a lot. Because every time you push on me, since what I've done is pretty reasonable, I don't have a lot of ground to give. So I have to say no. No, I'm sorry. No. No, 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 because my end game is go to court. If I go to court, I win, but I don't win if I give up too much ground in the negotiation. So that's kind of what the way I was looking at the maps. What did you think, Marty? Uh, <laughs> that was a, a great analysis there. Um, the uh, Again, I, I started looking at them and – uh, just kind of drilled in on on some of them. I think that they're they're a good starting point. Some of them, like mm -hmm. I said, are are, are, are kind of wild. You know, one breaks the peninsula part of Pierce County into three different uh, L, LDs. Yeah. One um, uh, puts part of the twenty seventh in, in Gig Harbor. Mm -hmm. um, several, I think, one has Senator Nobles, you know, districted out of her house. Right. I mean, and not not too much. So one's clearly trying to provoke. Mm -hmm. um, as we look at some of them and, and some – and I do like um, April Sims map. Uh, it's one of the ones that keeps part of the uh, east side in the 27th. Talk to me about that. We were talking a little bit before we went uh, – you know, before we started recording and dividing up um, the east side away from the 27th has some negatives for you. It has some concerns for me now. So currently when we just look at Tacoma, it's got a little bit of the 28th. Big part of the 27th, think all the 27th, a little mm -hmm. bit of 27th outside the Tacoma, and then a good portion of the 29th mm -hmm. down in the, the South Tacoma and South End area. Most uh, – three of the maps had that line pulled all the way up to I-5. Mm -hmm. 
And if you look, and that's currently where the 10th district um, cuts off in several of the congressional maps, also had that line going off at I-5. And it seems like a real natural boundary. Except for in Tacoma, you know, we don't have the other side of the tracks. We have the other side of the freeway. Yeah. And when we start drawing, one of the things I think that's really helped to come over the last few years is having, you know, three congressional districts and three LDs that all cut on different lines so that I might be working with you in an LD over here, but then we're working with different um, uh, Congress people here. Mm-hmm. And that mix back and forth helps the, I think, helps neighborhoods and helps each other. When we draw all of the lines at I-5, mm-hmm. it really will politically create a – this group all works together here and this group works here and uh, we might work together on some stuff. But the, the needs become more separated mm-hmm. and we become less of a, a unified city, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I think I would like to see the lines not match up, that they give overlap uh, for 20 years. I, as I said, I've lived in the, the, the 27th, living in the east side. And – uh, I think it's been to the benefit, you know, the uh, current contingency of, uh, you know, Darniel and uh, Jenkins and Fye were huge proponents of the East Side yeah. uh, Community Center that we built. And yeah. I don't know, we, we wouldn't have got it built the way it is if not for them. Mm-hmm. And they have been great advocates for the East Side and we would, uh, you know, hate, I would hate to lose them. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, you have a couple of competing good things. So it's a very good thing if a um, community of color or a you know majority minority majority community is able to really effectively um, vote their power. But it's also if you're in a city a very good thing if you don't have everyone segregated by economic boundaries. So I don't think it's necessarily healthy for the 27th LD if it is even more so. North End, Tacoma, you know, white people tend to be a little bit more wealthy and, frankly, right now a little bit older. You know, I don't know that that's the best, um, although it probably makes for a safe district in a lot of ways. Um, but I, because I think that the, the north part of Tacoma has always had a little bit of trouble kind of having empathy for and understanding the needs of the rest of the city. So another barrier in there between that may not be too helpful. No. And and I think most of these maps also reduce us down to two districts instead of three, mm-hmm. um, which uh, having the 28th as part of Tacoma has always been been strong. And interesting enough, a lot of people say, you know, it's the UP one. But I do believe Senator Oban actually lives in – our former Senator Oban actually lives in Tacoma. So he would get moved over to the 27th in, in this, mm-hmm. although he's now a former senator. Right. Uh, but Yeah, I think he's on what, the West Slope or something right, like that. Uh, who knows what that would do for his future if he wanted to come back. Yeah, interesting, interesting. I, I think I think something about the, the 27th in particular is sort of notable in all four drafts. Um, th- it does remove, three of the four completely remove the east side from it. Um, mm-hmm. One of them removes a lot of the east side, but all four of them also add other parts. Um, the uh, Commissioner Walk, one of the, one of the Democrat, Brady Walkinshaw, he adds, he does a very bold thing and adds Gig Harbor and sort of a bunch of territory on the other side of the bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, commission, the One of the Republican maps adds University Place into it. Mm-hmm. And then one of the Democratic maps and one of the Republican maps adds Fife into it. Yeah. And Fife is a majority-minority city. Mm-hmm. So um, that's – it's interesting. You know, you know, part of the phenomena that we talked about on the previous podcast is that because of the population growth in Seattle, everything sort of has to shrink – or scrunch a little towards uh, towards the city of Seattle and towards downtown Seattle. Mm-hmm. So I think that adding Fife in, which is currently in the 25th with Puyallup, right. that's sort of a signal to that. But I, you know, I think Marty makes a, a good point about how you know these the 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 lines do have impacts on the policymaking and in, mm-hmm. in terms of forming communities of of interest and and how policymakers are able to focus their energy. And I do want to really quickly return to your negotiating point, Evelyn, because I do think that this is so important for people to understand because the Republicans have clearly drawn maps that are maximal to them in terms of partisan gain. Well, and I think they're almost being intentionally provocative. Yes. You know, what I, the talking point that we hear again and again and again is this will increase competitiveness. Yes. Now, that's a tagline, the word competitiveness. That is actually not a value 
that is to be, um, you know, preserved in redistricting, right? I mean, the values that we try to preserve are fairness, uh, representation, um, proportionality, you know, so that people's votes matter. Competitive, as in competitive in a partisan way, I mean, okay, but that's not a goal. I don't think it should be. Um, And and I think what I can imagine some Democrats saying is, well, why didn't our side draw a maximalist map? Mm -hmm. And the reason for that, one is that drawing just a fair map in Washington— Hard enough, right? And it yields a very Democratic map because Mm -hmm. we are just a very Democratic state. But it would be very difficult for them to do that. And then also— it would not be as strong of an argument to the court. And right. that is something that is like this is not a case where the Republicans say one thing and the Democrats say one thing and then they must meet in the middle. The Republicans know that, you know, the the stone hanging over their head is that if they are not cooperative enough, if they are not willing to yield on some of these more absurd points and ideas by November 15, then the whole process goes to the Supreme Court, which is a very liberal institution right now and is going to share the values of the Democratic commissioners. And the Republicans could very well end up with a map that is even less favorable to them than if they had just compromised with the commission. So Mm -hmm. it's this very interesting sort of power dynamic that that is going on, but um, it'll, it'll be over in, uh, you know, just about six weeks or so. November 15 is that deadline. Yeah. So, um, and, 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 you know, I kind of want to go yeah. back and talk to you. I don't think when the forum sat down, they thought, how can we get the east side out of the 27th? Right. Frankly, I think quite the opposite. I don't think anyone even gave it a thought. Um, but you're trying to move 49 pieces. Mm-hmm. And every time you move a piece, another piece has to shift. So uh, it's a tremendous job to do. Mm-hmm. And I know that many of the lines that get shifted, it really is a factor of, okay, we we're trying to shift this district, which shifted this one, which shifted this one. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I don't want to come off as like, boy, there's this big conspiracy. Right. But I think it's really more a uh, factor of no one even gave it the thought mm-hmm. of what that continuity meant. Uh, to that that community, mm-hmm. and I'm hoping before we get to to we're looking at things that that that's important, and it it could actually have some impacts coming up very shortly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about what we see for some of our specific local legislative districts and congressional districts. So let's start with the 25. We don't talk about 25 very often. That is the Puyallup area. I don't think that one has any particular. Yeah. Significant changes. That That's correct. And, and one of the other things that's interesting is um, you – so if people hear paper shuffling around, it's because we have a bunch of maps in front of us. So I apologize if that's um, – but you really need to look at both the maps and sort of a spreadsheet of the partisan mm. identification to understand what's going on here because – the 25th does shift a bit in shape. I mentioned two of the maps move Fife out of it into the yeah. 27th. But even the Democratic commissioners don't try to make the 25th much more Democratic. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans don't really try to make it much more Republican. It mm-hmm. stays sort of light red. I think it adds, you know, again, it, it moves towards the county line a bit, adding some areas sort of on the other side of Puyallup. Um and, and each one's a little different, but I think that's that's a signal by both parties that they understand that this area is just going to be It is what little, it is, right? Yeah, it is what it is, yeah. and, and so they've decided not to argue over mm-hmm. that point. Yeah. What about 26? 26 is across the water, or has been across the water, um, Gig Harbor and uh, areas around Gig Harbor. And we had some discussion last time thinking, would 26 need to cross the water? To get enough people. And I don't think that happened. Well, it, it did, did it? not happen, though. Commissioner Walkinshaw did make the 27th cross the water. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So he did, he did I think, the, the most unusual thing, um, which is his 26th actually is entirely out of Pierce County. And he adds uh, Vashon into it. Oh, that's interesting. So it's Bremerton and, and Vashon, which the 26th is a, is a highly competitive legislative district. Right. Um, so he, that is an effort to make it much more democratic. Commissioner mm-hmm. Sims uh, also makes the district more democratic, but does not do it um, in that way. Um, so 
Yeah. Well, in the, in the 26th, the Republicans draw um, Senator Randall out of her home in Bremerton. Mm-hmm. So everyone is this is one of the, this is going to be one of the key points of, of negotiation is just how partisan is this is this LD going to be. Mm-hmm. And when you look at Walkinshaw's what the 26th works bumped up, they recovered a little bit by bringing the 23rd then down in. Mm-hmm. And whenever you see a picture of what a gerrymandered map shouldn't look like, yeah. look at the 23rd on Walkinshaw's right there as it wraps completely around the 26th and grabs the key peninsula. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so it creates a, a very interesting uh, uh, little almost looks like the Grinch there uh, <laughs> that it. Uh, uh, but that's, you know, when when that's what I think a lot of just lay people look at that and go, that's just not right. Yeah. That's not compact. Yeah, it's not you compact know, is, and it's confusing. Right. And telling, you know, these people who live that far apart that, that they have the same representation. Right. Um, when they're, you know, it, when it's, you know, a 40-minute, 50-minute drive between, mm-hmm. that doesn't uh, that doesn't resonate. Mm-hmm. And that's when people uh, begin to look at the process and begin to see things that they would identify as gerrymandering and saying – no, that's not what we want. We mm-hmm. want you know compact and mm-hmm. fair and mm-hmm. yeah. I, I saw a leg, I saw a legislator from the twenty third this weekend, and they were not super thrilled with <laughs> that, <laughs> that that aspect of the plan. I think they they liked that the twenty sixth became very democratic, but they did not like the the notion of bringing the twenty third stretching from you know the the tip of the Kitsap Peninsula all the way down to the bottom of the Key Peninsula, and so so I don't think we'll see that in the final mm-hmm. map, but. Um, it is it, the the Brady's map is. He has a lot of clever ideas in it. I, I agree with Marty that it it does not pass the sort of smell test of just how it looks at mm-hmm. glance because mm-hmm. of a lot of the different lines. But um, but there is I know a lot of deep thought that that did go into his explanation in terms of, of values and stuff. So yeah, well, and I will say you know there are a lot of competing interests that the map drawers on both sides were trying to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to sort of take a practical lens to it too and say, well, what actually works? Yeah. And, and one of the, if, while we're sort of outside of the, mm-hmm. the immediate area, one of the most interesting things in, for people to watch uh, as, as it shakes out, and you're really going to need to be looking at a map to, I think, get this because I'm going to use a bunch of numbers here, but up in the North Sound, uh, so up near Bellingham, the San Juans, there's three legislative districts. There's the 10th, the 40th and the 42nd. And under the existing map, the 10th and the 42nd are very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, Senator Erickson was, I think, reelected last time by fewer than 50 votes. The 40th, which is Anacortes and the San Juans and part of Bellingham, is very Democratic. Yeah. Both Democratic commissioners do a sort of trade between the three districts where they make the two swing districts much more democratic, and they make that 40th much less democratic. Interesting. And a very sort of elegant way that actually, frankly, I think looks better on the map. The Republicans mm-hmm. don't accept this premise, but that will be another one of the points of negotiation mm-hmm. along with the 26th is mm-hmm. what happens to those districts up in the North Sound. Mm-hmm. Well, let's uh, next up, 27th. And this is why, if for those of you listening, probably you all know this, but uh, our – um, frankly, beloved state senator Jeannie Darneal is leaving the Senate to go to a very important job with Department of Corrections, uh, being in charge of women women's prisons, and leaving a vacancy. So, and it's a it. I mean, talk about your elegant solutions. Mm-hmm. Leaving a vacancy rather than deciding not to run for re-election means that there is a special process that occurs now for filling a vacant Senate seat, and the process is that the um, Precinct committee officers for that district, the PCOs for the 27th Legislative District, will get together and will vote for three people, three names, to be forwarded to the county council. And the county council will then make a decision as to which person should be appointed to the Senate seat. So right in this room, we have a PCO who will be voting on those names and a county councilman who will be making that decision. Very exciting. Very exciting. And let me tell you, a lot of people are interested in this. Um, Senator Darneal has said very clearly, I would like to see this as an opportunity for a person of color to be part of the um, 
governing group of the 27th Legislative District. Unlike other LDs in our area that have diversity in their membership, uh, we have had only white individuals in the 27th. This is an opportunity to change that. The person selected will have to run for election to the position next year, November 2022, to fulfill the last two years of Jeannie Darnell's term. And then in 2024, we'll run for a four-year term as Senate. And uh, there's a lot of issues in that. I mean, so we've got currently a lot of people. I don't know if there are 20, but there are almost 20, if not 20 people out right now talking to PCOs, talking themselves up, gathering whatever support they can. Um, the PCOs will meet on October 16th, I believe. Is the, uh, I think that's tentative, but I think it's been set now. Um, it's a meeting run by the state Democratic Party uh, and has very uh, – it's going to be a um, – I don't know. I think it's going to be a blood sport meeting. I think it's going to be out of control myself. And I am really not sorry at all that I did not run for PCO again last year. I let that go. But there will be three names that come out of that process. Those will go to the county council, and the county council will take action. What do you think? It's like is it like sixty days after you get the names? We, or we something? have up to sixty, but uh, you know we will move swiftly because pretty soon the committee assignments come out, and we would like to have the person uh, so that we know their strengths, weaknesses, and interests, so they can get on the committees mm -hmm. uh, instead of being what's left over. They so can do you think that the choice. county council will act in November? Maybe. Most likely, yeah, okay. because they, they need to be seated and begin uh, gearing up because we don't want to seat them late December and have them show up day one down in Olympia trying to get things going. Right. They and need time to be able to ramp up and get ready. And there's layers to this because I don't – most of you may not remember this, but when, uh, when Senator O'Neill won her race uh, for Senate, she was opposed by Jack Connolly, very prominent uh, – personal injury attorney, very successful, very wealthy, who put over a million dollars of his own money into the campaign. And this was what, I mean, years ago. This was what, 15 years ago, 12 years ago? 2012. 2012? Yeah. Okay, so maybe not that long ago. A lot's ago. happened. <laughs> Still long ago. Almost 10 years ago. Um, and so there's a possibility that someone might, you know, even though there's the appointment process, that someone next November, November 2022, may be fighting really hard to unseat whoever has been appointed. So there's a lot that's going to go on in 27th. And with that, what do the maps show us about the 27th? Well, we know they cut off the east side on one. On, right. Yeah. And uh, as I said, what if um, former Senator O'Ban is in? You know, oh. He's obviously not going to seek a Democratic appointment, but but suddenly that race maybe look a little more competitive for him, right? Someone who has a history of raising money, mm -hmm. it's going to be D. He, you know, I don't, I don't think he could could win it, but um, he definitely could make sure that whoever we put in uh, needs to be able to bring it. Because if they're not able to bring it next year, yeah. someone like him could also. Um, having the ability to raise a significant amount of money and and have support uh, could definitely make make it interesting. And so uh, I feel for the PCOs. I, I fortunately only have to pick from from three because um, and 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 I'll just put someone on the table and Phil can respond to it. How do you weigh um, you know who they are, what they've done, um, how long have they been part of the party? Are they a are they a demonstrated Democrat or are they standing up? I mean, 10 years ago, Jack Connolly stood up and said, no, I'm a Democrat. He ran as a Democrat and everyone in the party was going. Who? But What? But, but you're not. And, and some of his values were and some mm -hmm. of them clearly weren't. And, you know, how much time will we have to research to see how much, you know, will we know all the various nuances that make up a, a – good Democrat, well, will we know their positions on all of these? And you won't, because at the same time, this is an opportunity to get some new blood in. Right. Right? You know, rather than just going with someone who you may have known for a long, long time. So so that is part mm -hmm. of the mix. Are people on the east side eligible to apply for it? There's been questions about who should vote I, in it. Should I, we I wait mean, till redistricting? Today, well, today, the district is the district. And the only, the only requirement is that the person be a resident of the district today in order to put their name in. And then this and this district would be like anyone. If they put their name in and they get appointed and then the district boundaries changes, then if they want to keep that seat, they probably need to move, right? Or run at a different 
See, yeah. So, so one of the things. one of the things that uh, someone listening might think is why not do this appointment process once these new lines are set? And that was my initial impression the day <laughs> it came out. And like, I, why I, now? I posted something on social media about that, and I, I was very quickly informed that there are rules. Um, and I've I've looked at them, and I I it, it is it has to be done within a certain time frame that really doesn't make it possible to delay it past mm-hmm. the lines, um, which is just sort of. The, this this could only happen once every 10 years when we happen to be going through this process, and, and that's just sort of the way it is. So, uh, But it is sort of something to to think about. And, you know, I was at the LD meeting on Monday, Monday. Monday night. It's, Doesn't it seem like it was like a right. long time ago? It, it's it's all time is time is funny right now. But um, and, you know, Senator Darniel. Uh, gave uh, uh, some remarks there, and and she mentioned, as you said, that she believes the seat should go to, uh, or that the PCO should should recommend um, a person of color or, or three people of color. Um, I agree with her. I think that it is hard to disagree with that. Um, if you know racial equity is is really something that you value. I mean, this it's a Senate seat. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And if you think that racial equity is a big problem and that we need to take big steps, then it would be a big deal to do this. And so, you know, I have been contacted by a bunch of different candidates. I will not attempt to name them all, um, but I will say that the the ones who were right out of the gate were Desiree Wilkins-Finch, Yasmin Trudeau, Nate Bowling, uh, Tafana Irvin, uh, Lamont Green, uh, Priya Saxena. Yeah, I apologize if I mispronounced the last name, but I... All of those, they're all um, individuals of color. Um, and so there's a, a wide, you know, variety of, of uh, different backgrounds and experiences. And, and so I'm, I'm excited to see it play out. Um, and, you know, if there are others out there I haven't heard from, I, those are just the ones I've heard from. So There are, there are others. Yeah. No. Well, let's, uh, uh, let's take a short break right here. And when we come back, we'll touch on this a little bit more, and then we'll get into the rest of the districts. Friends, this is Marguerite Martin, creator of MoveToTacoma.com and co-founder of Channel 253. It's bad out there, folks. Home prices in Pierce County are up 15% year over year. While it's no secret that the market is hot, you may not know that Tacoma has been the hottest housing market in the country for several years. There is an extreme shortage of homes for buyers to buy. Having a local Tacoma buyer's agent that specializes in the neighborhood and price range you're after can mean the difference between losing or winning the bid on your dream home. If you're looking to sell your current home and find something that meets your needs better, having a neighborhood expert handle your listing will impact how much money you net off of your sale. The right agent to market and sell a home on the West Slope might not be the same person who has the expertise and connections to find you an income-generating duplex somewhere else. All agents have specialties, and I know the players for every niche. Best of all, it doesn't cost you anything. Great local agents are happy to pay me a finder's fee if you end up buying or selling. And you can rest easy knowing you're going to get a great agent who specializes in exactly what you're looking for. If you want to learn more, visit MoveToTacoma.com and use the contact form. Thanks for listening to Channel 253. Okay, we're back. Uh, Before we jump back into this, I would just like to say if you would like to become a Channel 253 member, you can go to our website and join us. $4 a month, $40 a year. Uh, It's pretty interesting stuff. We have a member-only exclusive podcast hosted by our producer, Doug Mackey, and we have a very, very active Slack channel for members that – really has all the dirt that you'd want to find in town. It's worth it, definitely. So I hope you'll join us. So let's talk a little bit more, a little bit more about the appointment process in the 27th LD. Um, I can't remember exactly what I was going to say, but um, I really have no idea what I was going to say. Well, first of all, it's, <laughs> it comes up on the 16th, and I think you were sharing a little bit what some of the various votes. Oh are going yeah, to be. so we were so, talking. So yeah. this will be easy, right? They're just going to walk in, mark a spot on the paper, and oh, be done. God, don't you wish? Don't so you wish easy. you could just have like all the names on a list? And you could just check. You could either check one. So here's the thing: the, uh, <laughs> Phil was talking about this during the break. Um, there's two ways of voting. 
One way is you basically have three elections. You have, you know, here's the election for our first appointment person, and we go through all the nominations, and then we vote. And there, and, could we, be a, and there could be a runoff. And there could be a runoff. And yeah. we select a person for the first appointment. Mm-hmm. Now it's time to select our second appointment. Mm-hmm. And you do the whole thing all over again. So this is super time consuming. Um, the other option is kind of like, you know, when you're voting on a, um, you know, you're taking a survey. And it says, here are 20 choices. Pick your top three. And then that's kind of a pain in the ass to tabulate. Because everyone might pick a different top three. And what you were saying, Phil, was you could actually get someone in the top three who really didn't get very many votes. Yeah. And and here's just something to clarify, because I think there's some miscommunication about this. In in the second method, the one you just described, Mm -hmm. the PCOs would still only get to vote for one candidate. You would not get three votes. Oh, I thought it was pick your top three. No. No. That's why it's so – because if you get – one, yeah – because what they're trying to avoid is oh, a situation. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah. What they're trying to avoid is a situation where, let's say, everyone has the option of three votes. Mm-hmm, but, but they all they, vote. Or they just, there's people who choose not to use two of their votes because yeah. they just want to concentrate for one mm-hmm. candidate. Mm-hmm. So they've devised these two different methods where at any given point, the PCOs are only able to vote for one person at a time. So it gets rid of that aspect. But it then creates this aspect of you can get into that top three with a pretty small share of the vote, and then there's another vote after that to determine the rank of the three that have already been chosen. <laughs> so, again. <laughs> okay, that that's not at all what I had in mind. Yeah. So, if you've got, like, 20 people, so let's say you've got 20 names on this list, mm-hmm. and you have, I think there's, like, 59 PCOs or something. 58, yeah. 58, yeah. and, I, and I don't know that all of them will show up, although I think right. most of them probably will. But let's suppose you've got 50 people show up. There's 20 names on the list. You could have someone who, who gets in the top three with only 10 votes. Yeah, and, and another thing to understand is that, first of all, no one is an actual candidate until the day of. Yes. And anyone who wants to seek it does need to be nominated by a PCO. Yes. The so question I'm starting to ask folks when they call is, Who's nominating you? <laughs> oh, that and have people lined that up yet, or yeah, are they saying, I, "Oh, well, good I, question"? I think the ones who are going to be more successful have have begun to line okay. it up, and and I think in maybe one or two cases, a candidate is a PCO, but mm-hmm. that is sort of the first. You know, you need at least one PCO to publicly say, to "Stand I'm up going to nominate you. this yeah. person." So that's. You know, as someone who went through a Democratic uh, <laughs> primary two years ago when I ran for Congress, it is a very you know, we're all friends with each other. We all share the same values, and you sort of have to compete. And it it's it feels weird. But. No, it's. I mean, I will be honest. Not being a, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, it's terrible. These are like the worst meetings of your life. Yeah. And so and so, the first thing they're going to have to vote for is is how are we going to vote? Yeah. And that's going to take hours to figure out. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a nightmare. How do you vote on that vote? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how many people pro and against? Right. Oh, I feel so sorry for you, Phil. It's going to be just torture. <laughs> well, and then then I heard it's going to be, you know, every candidate that gets nominated will get five minutes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and for much of them, that's all you're going to know about them. Yeah, there's no debate. And well, so it, it'd be really cool if if there was a debate held beforehand for anyone who wants to declare they're running, at least get out. I don't know. More dialogue. We've because been, yeah, we've are talked we going about- to be able to, to find out really, it, and it's to their own I think to the detriment of the candidates of them not being able to define themselves yeah. against the very, you know, the the several pillars of mm-hmm. the Democratic mm-hmm. Party. Because uh, if you leave out a key one and all some people have questions on, well, what's their position on this? Right. Well, I'm just not even going to vote them because I, I don't know and right. you don't want to take that risk. Right. So uh, how it, it's to the benefit of everyone to get more information out so there. So we've been you. talking internally uh, at the podcast level of, you know, can we play a role in this? You know, can we interview all these people? Probably not. Too many. Yeah. And the fact is we know people who are interested in becoming an appointee, but there will be candidates. It's possible you could have someone who's unknown at this point in time who gets nominated at that day sure. who's fabulous and wonderful and everyone votes for. So it's very hard to know how to deal with this. I, we've talked about, um, you know, could we do a podcast that's at least about the process? But I agree with you, Marty. I think what we really want to know is who are these people? Where do they come from and where do they stand on on so many of the issues? So, yeah. um, you know, think about it. But I don't think we have any answers yet. And it's coming up so fast. 
Yeah, there's not and, a lot of time to waste. In, in less than three, you know, I guess this podcast will come out in a few, but yeah, less than three weeks. Yeah. And something else to just sort of as people are noodling this over in their heads, you know, those 58 PCOs, and I calculated each one, therefore, is 1.72% of the voting power. <laughs> so, oh, um, you know, those 58 are not necessarily. I wouldn't say they're unrepresentative of the Democratic Party writ large, but it's a very specific group of 58 people. And I would say they are not representative, in yeah, all honesty. Because, yeah, racially, certainly not. Well, yes. and, but I would also say, I mean, for the ones I know, and I know quite a few of them, they have their passion issues. Yes, that's— I mean, yes. you know, the people who are active with Redefine and who mm-hmm. are passionate about the environment, it's not that they don't care about the other things. They actually do care about them, but, but that's, like, going to be number one. Mm-hmm. On the, you know, it's like, what is your feeling about what happens in the port and on the Salish Sea? And that is going to define how I vote. Yeah. There's also a very organized uh, faction of uh, Democratic Socialists from mm-hmm. the Tacoma DSA faction. Um, and uh, then there's, I think there's only actually two elected officials. No, two, yeah, two current elected officials and one former who are PCOs. Yeah. Uh, and then the sort of, you know, you know, I, I have been involved in politics around here for about 15 years and I looked through the PCO list when it was sent out, I did not recognize over half the names. Yeah, I, I there were definitely quite a few people that I didn't know and, yeah. that, and that haven't been coming to any meetings. Yeah. So, so, you know, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And I do remember what my thought, my thought had been, you know, for, for the, we are talking about the fact that, you know, Senator Neal had said, I hope this is an opportunity to appoint a person of color. And that from what I'm hearing from the PCOs, they're taking that very seriously as an opportunity for for some increased diversity and some different experiences coming into the Senate. But I do not want to dunk on anyone who is not a person of color but has decided I'm just going to go for it. And and the reason is this. Normally I would. Normally I'd say, step aside. This is not your time. But this never happens. I mean, this is like that sort of, you know, once in a blue moon type thing where there's an appointment to a to a Senate seat. So I'm not going to... I'm not going to be too down on the person who decides, yeah, you look, I may not get it, but I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. I'm not sure it's a great decision to make, but, you know, it is what it is. We're going to see some more people come in who are probably not likely to be uh, persons of color. Yeah. Well, and I think what's important, you know, as a PCO, something that I'm thinking about and that I would encourage the other PCOs to think about is, you know, we have real agency and control over this process right now. And if, like if you, a lot. And it, yeah, and if you sort of feel as a sentiment that, oh, certainly there should be more people of color in office, or oh, certainly there should be a person of color representing the 27th LD, I mean, your choice is to either help make that happen now yeah. or four years from now. Eight, like how long – when, How when, long would, when, right, is, right. when is it going to happen? This is a thing I have a big beef with. We're totally off. Topic now. <laughs> but and that's and it's like you're hi- you're making a hiring decision now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have worked for places that make hiring decisions that inevitably um, the person who's hired is the person who looks the most like you and has a very similar background. And that person is an outstanding candidate. Mm-hmm. But if you ever want to change your organization, you must hire the person who brings something new and something exciting and something different and something that you don't have. You must hire that person who brings something new to the to the organization. Let me loop it back around, though. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about six, seven names. Mm-hmm. I think three of them, two I know, I think a third, live on the east side of Tacoma. I think that is true, yeah. yeah. So, mm, so, so they have to... Move to the north end. If so, now we're back to the redistricting right. of what impacts that's going to have right. because we want diverse candidates. But half of them that are standing up are coming from the one area that's that might get districted out, might get cut out. And so, what does that speak to the long term right. of of what it is? You know, if they're willing to move over there, but now you're being told you have to, you know. Right, you you've lived and represented and uh, been part of or worked in the mm-hmm. east side. For 20 years, and now in order to represent, you've got to go somewhere else. Right. And you no longer represent Well, the and let's be honest. You know, 20 years ago, uh, moving across town was one thing. Now, it's damn expensive. <laughs> you know, you don't just get up and decide, I'm going to move from my house over, you know, on the east side and find a place in Proctor. Here is, here is what I will say. The east side will be represented by a senator. It will be in a legislative district. That's true. This is true. 
and this is no disrespect to any of our friends in the 29th, if the East Side moves into the 29th. Uh, it's just a statement of fact. Yes. Well, and let's be honest. I mean, the 29th is likely to have an open Senate seat pretty soon, too. Right? Hasn't Conway signaled that he may be retiring or leaving at some point pretty soon? I hear, That's I hear two I've sides heard. on that. I hear I two know. sides on that. So. I know. But, you know, time waits for new man. Anyway. So give Phil's thought on okay. this, though. What about a uh, placekeeper that is put in that says, I'm not going to run next year, that – here are 20 people who've all stood up, said that they want to run, and we're going to exclude 19 of them. Hmm. So one of them we're going to put in. They've said, I'm not going to run. Of course, you can't hold them to that. But they've said they're not going to run. And the other 19 can all decide if they want to run the traditional campaign in what then becomes an open seat as opposed to an appointed seat. Yeah, I think, you know, I have not heard any of the candidates make that pitch. There's nothing to stop a candidate from making that pitch. I've also heard of a couple of candidates who have sort of already said, even if I don't get the appointment, I'm going to run. Um, I think to loop back to our earlier conversation about the fact that the seat will be on the ballot next year, for me personally as a PCO, I am looking for someone who would be a good senator. I'm also looking for a political leader and a good candidate. And in that sense, I would... You know, again, I'm, I haven't taken a side and I'll, I'll listen to anything, but my inclination is that I would like to see someone who can go in there into the Senate and be a very strong political voice and speak to the urgency of this moment and then go and get reelected and continue to do good work. Yeah. But the placeholder concept that that it is and, and for a situation like this where the district lines are up, it's something that. Someone was going to bring it up eventually. So here we go. Yeah, it's intriguing. I'll tell you, my, ca my caution would be um, elections are often popularity contests in a lot of ways. You know, who, who has the name recognition? Who has, you know, who's sort of known to voters who don't pay a lot of attention to these things? So, I mean, I think you could have um, your placeholder. It, it would It would – mean that it would be much, much harder to get some diversity then into that seat. I think you're going to – I think you would probably have people running for it who have strong name recognition or maybe family name recognition um, who don't bring much uh, racial or cultural diversity to the seat. And I don't know that I prefer a placekeeper, but I think it's worthy of the conversation because of the outcome that it has that's different. It's very intriguing. And the – I think there's just so many ways you can look at this. And you talk about this is just a popularity contest, yet we're setting up a process where everyone only gets to speak for five minutes. Right, right. And so if we really didn't want it to be a popularity contest, each of the 20 candidates would get a 30-minute interview so that it uh, – and, of course, I don't think the PCOs want to sit there for 60 hours, uh, uh, you know, or I guess they They're calling hours. us anyway. So. Right. Um, uh, Caucuses have lasted longer than that. Um, the uh, so you know what 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 do you want? Do you do you want this process that just gives everyone five minutes to make their best pitch? Because then it kind of goes back to popularity. Do we want a robust process? Do we host forums outside of it of anyone who wants to declare themselves show up now talk? It, it's this has just came up so fast at a weird time right before an election, right while we're at redistricting. Um, so it, it's going to be uh, fascinating to watch. And yeah. then, then comes our round. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and we've been talking about how, you know, how soon the redistricting process will conclude this whole process. The Senate point will conclude even quicker than that. Even so, quicker. yeah. So. Well, let's flip back to redistricting. Yes. Uh, and, and we've talked about this a little bit already, but um, congressional district, what's your big concern? Well, I'd stay in the 10th, so I'm pretty happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but again, that's just me talking. Uh, I, again, I go back to that. I think Tacoma's been well-served having three districts, 6, 10, and um, 9. Mm -hmm. I, I would like to see us keep that if we can, you know, but that's just – it's what I'm familiar with. It's yeah. what I know. It's the relationships that, that we as Tacomans have. Um, at the very least, it needs to be at least two, and you know, and at least two of those have to be six and ten. Mm -hmm. um, as I, when I look at things and and the relationships that we've built, um, and just the work that's been done, you, you know, we we need to redistrict, but we need to respect the 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 work that's there mm -hmm. and that's in process. I think. 
Yeah, and the the Republican attempt, I guess, in, again, in both both of the Republican congressional maps, the draft maps, they remove uh, all of Tacoma from the sixth district, the one that Derek Kilmer currently represents, and that is a a nakedly partisan. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah, a no that, go. I would yeah, think. Yeah, the the math of the sixth district because it has the Olympic Peninsula and Kitsap, which are much you know range from Republican to swingy areas. That's what makes a Democratic district, and so a court would understand that mm-hmm. any sort of argument is is pretty specious. I mean, the the one of the Republican maps they put Olympia into the sixth, yeah, I saw and that, and out of the tenth. But um, I, you know, I, I think one of the interesting things is that the tenth there was a, a potential for the Republican, excuse me, to draw it in a way that would make the tenth actually a little more Republican, and mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't go that route. Um, so, and, and, um, I stay in the 10th and all for the map. So I'm, I guess, happy with that. There was another question, the previous episode where we talked about whether, uh, the eighth congressional district would cross the mountains. Right. And, uh, it does in three of the four. And then in the one that it doesn't, they make the first district cross the mountains. So that, that feature of the map does seem here to stay. So we've we've breached the mountain passes. Yes. At long last. Yes. So that's good. <laughs> Phil, you you under, um, understand a little bit more down in three. Mm-hmm. So how are the Republicans approaching three? Because they're not. There's a big faction within the Republican that that's uh, her Butler, right? Yes. Yeah. So given uh, the position on uh, the the. Trump impeachment mm-hmm. and voting with the Democrats, a lot of disfavor within the Republican Party. So what what are we hearing out of down there? I'm not trying to be the host. No, here. I'm just well, I think that's a fascinating question. Yeah. So yeah. So the third, so the, represented by Jamie Herr Butler, who did vote to impeach Donald Trump the second time around, um, and has now several challengers, but one of whom I believe has been endorsed by the the former president, um, and trying to get her in sort of a sense. And it's an interesting point, Marty. They they don't really change them in a way that I think will severely impact that dynamic. Um, the, the nature of the third district, Clark County, which is where Vancouver is right across from Portland, a lot like Pierce County in that it has a, a sort of more liberal progressive urban center and some suburban areas and then out into rural areas. And it has become more democratic over the previous decade. Some of those higher income suburbs like Camas and Washougal uh, did not like the former president. But at the same time, it also has areas like Kelso and Longview, these former um, you know, places where you know, the, the decline of, of timber and industrialization has really impacted the economic health of those areas. And you know, Kelso and Longview of anywhere in the state has become just – so much more Republican mm-hmm. than previous. I mean, it is essentially like Lewis County, Centralia, Chehalis. You know, the tradition of sort of voting for blue-collar Democrats there is just gone, and so that makes the overall map in the third much more sort of Republican by default. But maybe those. I mean, those are the sort of Republicans who would think to favor someone who would be more of a a you know challenger backed by the former president. But at the same time, some of those higher-income suburbs who are voting Democrat, maybe they would give a vote to Jamie Herrera Butler because mm-hmm. she voted for impeachment, and that's mm-hmm. the nature of the top two primaries. So I yeah. do think the top two primaries will protect her and Dan Newhouse to a large degree. That it won't in other places. But yeah, it's a great – that is a great subplot as well. So what happens now? I, I've heard um, from – well, mostly from the Democratic side because I don't hear as much from the Republican side. But I've heard – you know, please to people, please go onto the redistricting commission website. Please make your comments. Um, comments make a big difference. I mean, do they make a difference? So yes. So I I will and see so revisit. We we had a bit of this discussion last time, and and I think it's true what we said last time, which is that most people probably don't have extremely strong feelings so long as they think the map is fair. Mm-hmm. But I want to focus on that so long as they think the map is is fair. And, and that is why I would encourage everybody to go to the Redistricting Commission's website, redistricting.wa.gov. Do this before October 4th, which is uh, next week. Next week. Um, and the, the reason why it's important to build to, to public comment is that if this does go to a court, um, or even during these meetings that are still happening, both sides are going to want to be able to say, look at all the public support for these principles and values. 
And the Republicans certainly will. And so if you're a Democrat or a progressive or just someone who wants to see a fair map, getting in those comments so that a court can later see it and so that the commissioners can bring it up in the meeting is very important. You don't need to write something super long. You can if you want to, but just say which maps you think are are better and say why, what values matter to you. It can be as brief as a sentence or two, but please do go and do it because this is something that only happens once every 10 years. Okay. And... Uh, and what's the process now? Uh, I assume that the commissioners are having discussions with each other? Yes. So this this is another interesting bit. So be, Washington has an open public meetings law. And because of that, you, they can't have three commissioners meet. Mm-hmm. And so if you sort of think of the logistics of that, that makes it a little tough to have confidential negotiations. So they, they traditionally, and, and I think they're going to do this as well, they break into dyads, which is like a triad, but only two. And so one of the D's and one of the R's will go and talk about the legislative map. One of the D's and one of the R's will go and talk about the congressional map. Then the the two D's and the two R's will get together and sort of reconvene, and that process will go about. And I I went back and looked at the 2011 commission about how many rounds of draft maps there were. And I want to know if you would like to hazard a guess as to 10 years ago how many rounds of draft maps were there. What do you think, Marty? Since he's – Framed it up this way. I'm going to go with over 20. Oh, I would have. Th- I would have thought between 10 and 20. It was seven. So okay, I may have built that up. But <laughs> the, the point is to say that there will be many more iterations. Okay. And there was a while in December, right when they're reaching the end of the negotiation, where it was like every day there was a new map that they wanted to put out there. Um, and they did come to an agreement, didn't they? They did. It, they came to it very, very late on New Year's Eve, mm. and the actual sort of vote actually happened on New Year's Day, which was. Yeah, no one sued, and it's yeah. in the past now. But um, but I would anticipate it. Now the deadline is November 15, but I would anticipate it going right up to, to mm-hmm. the end there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think they'll reach an agreement, or do you think we'll end up in court? I think it behooves the Republicans to come to an agreement, and I don't think the Democrats— I mean, I'll say it here. The Republicans can only lose if they go to exactly. court. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's just the reality. So, What do you think, Marty? Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful for agreement. I think it's uh, we've spent enough time with our Agreed. politics in court, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that, that we should own the process and having the courts decide it um, is is it would be the best for the Democrats, but it's not always the best thing. Yeah, and Oregon has already completed their redistricting. So. Oh, interesting. Well, you know, and I, we didn't get into this while we were talking about all these other exciting things. But uh, Marty, fill us in on what's going on with the county and the city. All right. Uh, yeah. Pierce County Council, of course, going through their redistricting. And not a whole lot's actually happened since we last talked. Mm-hmm. We appointed the the four members, two Republicans, two Democrats. They got together last night uh, okay. and um, on, on the day of taping here. Uh, didn't decide. They interviewed possible that fifth chair mm-hmm. or that fifth person. Um, and they didn't make a decision, so they're meeting again tonight. Okay. Uh, so by the time many people hear this, uh, there there should be a chair. So you can go on the Pierce County website, look up redistricting, and follow up from there. And from there, they should be going out um, on a little bit of a roadshow to, to do some listening. Excellent. And uh, they'll have to – once they appoint a chair, then they, have to, then they hire a redistricting master from okay. there. Good. So uh, once the five of them are together. So that's kind of one more step in there. So they've got a lot of process to get through and, and I hope in a pretty short time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know their exact uh, deadline, uh, but you know we want it uh, – uh, there's like 15-day and 30-day windows. Okay. So each action creates another window as mm-hmm. opposed to a date certain – there's I see. Just right. different windows there. Uh, city of Tacoma, um, you know, per the Washington State Legislature, uh, allows jurisdictions not scheduled to elect members of their governing bodies in 2022 to submit their redistricting plans to the county auditor by November 15th, 2022. Okay. So City of is going to take their time. They're going to do it next year. Um, looking at you know somewhere around April, May, or June, uh, kind of their, their their statement on it. And, you know, uh, considering the approach to city redistricting, uh, the needs and expectations of the Tacoma community have changed significantly since the last redistricting po- process ten years ago. Uh, Residents want to be authentically engaged on major city decisions in advance and expect to be reached out to utilizing multiple communication methods. Furthermore, in accordance with the city council direction, the city of Tacoma is actively moving towards becoming an anti-racist organization that seeks to deliver services equitably throughout the community. 
the redistricting process presents a unique opportunity to educate and engage the public around the reasons why the council districts exist, what redistricting means, and have robust dialogue with diverse audiences that have uh, about the district boundaries. Uh, this approach is warranted by the city council's uh, equity and civic engagement priorities. So uh, what, what you see is them really embracing it as this is an opportunity to really get out. And uh, whereas a lot of uh, times when you know, talk about this dyad and all this mm -hmm. working behind, they mm -hmm. want to do it in a very yeah. public and open. Uh, they'll probably come back through the Government Performance and Finance Committee, uh, which I believe John Hines currently chairs. Okay. And so you got, you know, he's a pretty smart guy mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think uh, is in, in good hands uh, there, but uh, encouraging to see them committing to such a public process and discussion. So after we're done with all this like arm wrestling, they're going to come back with a little bit yeah. more. Well, what do we all want? Oh, that'd be so a little nice. more. Now, it's starting out as kumbaya. <laughs> it could end up with a whole lot of arm wrestling. And, and, and they only have five districts. Yeah, so they only it's, have it's five. a little and, easier. And, and their numbers aren't that different. Yeah. They, they've all grown fairly equally. So, and you get into that, you know, when you only have five, when you only have seven, as opposed to 49, when you move one, it, yeah. everything, you know, you can only shift a yeah. little bit at a time. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know. Like I said, with the forty nine, they they start pushing. And what what did, I'd be interested to go back and see on the state ones, what was the first part that they started? Okay, I'm going to start. Was it the north, you know, the north uh, west one corner where they said, okay, I'm going to get this right, and then oh, yeah. just start building everything off that. Where was that first flag put that they then started crafting everything off of? Because that would make a difference how you end up. Yeah, I mean, I I have sort of always. I was taught by the people who teach these sorts of things in the uh, grand lore of Washington state politics to start in, in Spokane and sort of work through eastern Washington and up the river in I-5. But you just sort of have to start start in a corner. So right. I guess you could go the other way. But, um, but, but it, that's going to change a little bit as to what gets bumped around and, and how things shift around. So, yeah, it will. Uh, again, some pretty smart people working on it. Well, it's it'll be fascinating. So any final thoughts before we wind up? Phil, final thoughts? You want people to comment? Please do go and comment. It's very important. Um, and follow along. And when, uh, when the maps come out and we have our new legislators, and as a partisan Democrat, I will say we need to keep the 26th. We need to keep the 30th. We need to keep the 47th. We need to flip the 42nd. Those are all Senate races. And uh, we need to make sure Dr. Schreier is reelected and Congresswoman Strickland and Congressman uh, Kilmer uh, beats a Republican. And um, yeah, so it's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting time. Mm -hmm. Marty, final thoughts? Likewise, engage top to bottom, you know, in the county process, state process, congressional. Um, and then when the city one comes around, engage. Yeah, engage. Think, think about what you want, who you want representing, and what does it mean across not just your neighborhood, but other neighborhoods in your city. Who are you connected to? Who's like you? Who do you want representing you? Sounds great. Thank you both. This has been really, really good. Well, thank you for having so us. So interesting. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's oh, you're been... welcome. Who knows? We'll get again, get together again on some other issue. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.